Mary's Magnificat, her wonderful love song, was chosen by Eileen Edmondson a couple of weeks ago, and that verse became the center of this service. It went over, Mary's uh, Magnificat went over all the same ground as that reading from uh, Luke that Olaf read and that I read at the beginning of the service. And the, Isaiah um, gave his message as one of the prophets of the Old Testament to the, the rulers of the people. Um, he, Isaiah lived just after the end of the rule of Assyria when Babylon was taking over and the Babylonians destroyed the temple despite everything that Jeremiah had been telling the people. So over and over again, the Old Testament prophets had warnings for the ruling classes. They kept telling them that the people, they and the people, that God hears the cries of the oppressed. Powers and dominions lay their glory by proud hearts and stubborn wills are put to flight. The hungry fed, the humble lifted high. The humble were lifted high is a very important message for us. So these prophets pointed the way. When I first start, started preaching, one of the people in, the, in one of the chapels up the dale said, well, don't be like one of these finger posts, you know, in the dales, the finger posts. You know what they call them? And I said, I didn't know. And he said, they're preachers because they point the way, but they don't get anywhere. And that seemed to be what was happening to the Old Testament prophets. They pointed the way Moses and Samuel and Amos and Micah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they all had the same message. Give up your ways of worshipping other gods. Come to God. Worship God. And all the messages we read over the years all seem to have been directed, I think, towards the, the ruling classes, the, the bosses, the kings, and the people in authority. Turn back from your evil ways, you and your people. So in this collection of stories that we call the Bible, they're full of poetry, even if we don't accept them as poetry or accept poetry. So what are they telling us, I wonder? What are these stories telling us? And I turned to my guru, Stephen Dawes, who in his writings, which are on the internet if you want them, and if you want to find out where they are, ask me or ask Stephen. But he tells us that 
There is good and bad religion. Dawkins tells us that religion is bad for us, but Stephen tells us that bad religion is bad for us. Religion that's used to coerce or threaten or form as form as a banner under which we march to conquer other people. Bad religion can be bad Christian or bad Islam or bad Hindu or Buddhism or whatever. And it needs to be exposed for what it is. As for me as a Christian, Stephen says, good Christianity is what the prophet Micah said 700 years before Jesus was born. What God requires is this, to love mercy, to do justice, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8 And that's what I see, he goes on, and that's what I see when I look at the life and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. Good religion, which helps to make us more sane and humane, which promotes values which contribute to human wholeness and which is worth taking seriously. So can I go over what I've said already? That Mary, Mary's Magnificat summarizes Jesus' message. The prophets of the Old Testament said the same over and over again. Micah 6.8 and bad religion is used to force us to believe and all fundamentalists try to do that. So the last of the prophets before the big silence, Malachi said that I am about to send my messenger to clear a path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you seek will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight is here, here already, says the Lord of hosts. And the next prophet, hundreds of years later, was John the Baptist. And John led us to uh, our religion but I thought as a side issue I don't know does anybody listen to thought for the day does anyone listen to thought for the day some people I, I listen to thought for the day when I can and uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a Sikh um, Jamir Singh uh, speaking about the um, Guru Gobind Singh, the tenth guru of the Sikh religion, who um, gave the Sikh the five symbols. And they are in the news today because a Sikh has been stopped at an airport because he carried one of these symbols, uh, the um, curved sword that Sikhs carry. 
Gobind Singh uh, grew up in a, a time just about the time of the fire of London. Um, and his, he was very influential at the time, and his message was of um, tolerance and compassion amongst religions. He said that the essence is what you are, it's the center of what you are, um, and your religion uh, is yours, but the, all religions should be regarded with honor and respect. So we're in the uh, first Sunday of ordinary time. Sometimes it's called the sixth Sunday of Epiphany, the, the unveiling of knowledge, the revelation. So we focus again today on Jesus. And uh, remember how Jesus came into the limelight. It was John the Baptist preaching to great big crowds along the Jordan and giving them his message that um, you should repent and be baptized as a, as a token of that. And they said, yes, we'll be baptized. And they had that shocking experience of being dumped in the Jordan, which is a, a river that arises from underground not many miles away. Uh, with freezing cold water, which would still be freezing cold by the time it got to uh, the place where jo um, John the Baptist was. Wash us clean, they said. And of course the official uh, security police would be there, just as the KGB and the Stasi have been in our lives, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the priestly factions uh, would have spies around John the Baptist and no doubt Herod Antipas had as well. He would have his men in the crowds because John took a dim view of um, Herod's going to visit his brother in Rome and pinching his wife and bringing her back into Galilee. And he said it loud and clear. And although Herod uh, regarded John uh, very highly, he put him in jail. Herodias, Herodias, his wife, made sure of that. So this shot Jesus into prominence to take on the message of John and his message of peace and compassion. So, as I see it, John's message in Jesus was utterly different from the message of the prophets. It was along the same lines, but it was very personal. They were talking to each baptized person, each individual who changed his mind, and not to the government. And for me, uh, it's very significant, I think, because our faith, my faith, is personal. It's something between us and our God. And I have to say how much I am pleased to be in this church where the readings are read so beautifully. So thank you to my readers for today. 
they gave me a sense of the place and the time. And in Luke's description, in today's um, reading, Jesus came to that synagogue in Nazareth soon after he became, he began his mission. And we can imagine the leader of the um, synagogue handing Jesus the scroll. He would take it from the wall, from the Ark of the Covenant, which was a cupboard in the wall on the east side of the um, synagogue facing towards Jerusalem. And he would bring the scroll and give it to Jesus. And Jesus would climb the six steps in the front of the synagogue and lay the scroll out on the cushion in front, which faced towards Jerusalem. And then he'd unroll the scroll and read from the reading of the day, because they read a bit of the Torah of the first five books each day until they came to the end, and then they read it again, the next cycle. So the reading was set, and this was the set reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, and so on. And then Jesus would sit down to preach with complete openness and sincerity and authority about the reading. Today, in your presence, this has come true, he said. So they were amazed at his graciousness, at his grace and his authority. Is this not Joseph's son, they said, the carpenter's boy? For me, Jake Thackeray's song, Country Boy, says it. I don't know, does anybody know Jake Thackeray? Do we know the country boy? It's a beautiful song, I think. It says what, what they might be thinking and what he was trying to do. It was only a country boy talking to a people in pain. Come to me, him, despised people. Open your hearts and he will take part in your pain. It was only a country boy talking to a people in chains. Come unto him, despised people. Open your hearts, you hunchback people. And he will take a part in your pain. Outside the old city walls, there was a corner where the small-time thieves were hung up to die, clinging to life with hands that had always been empty. The country boy came to them, whispered his name to them, sharing the shame in their eyes, filling their lives with desire for no other freedom. But this was no country boy. This was Jesus Christ, Messiah, even if the locals couldn't see it. And Jesus took examples from the Bible to make his point. The point that this good news 
that Isaiah predicted was to be for all people, people like the Gentile widow of Sarepta in Sidon and the Gentile soldier Naaman. And his own people rejected him, rejected the message. It was almost the same. He said that the prophets were disregarding their own land. And I was reminded of how things were always the same. When I was watching a program on telly the other night, uh, one of my heroes, uh, you might not know this, but you know now, uh, is James Hutton, the um, brilliant Victorian geologist who looked at... Um, stones and realized that what happened then, sorry, what happened now happened then. And he looked uh, at the world as it changed over the millions of years. And we can see the change now in, in, in this program I saw, which you may not have seen, uh, there was a huge super volcano in Ardemachen and all down the west side of the land there are dead volcanoes in our land now and the activity has moved over 60 million years out until it's now up the mid-Atlantic ridge and ends up in Iceland and things that happen now happen then so we have a ring of fire around the Pacific which happened now which was happening 60 million years ago somewhere else. And in people, it's just the same. What happens now happened then. So people are nasty people. They do nasty things. We've only got to look at Syria with Assad and Putin helping each other to realize that things haven't changed since the time of Jesus. Luke may, Luke may not have been there, but his story is so clear, so accurate and um, convincing that we can believe it by seeing it in our own eyes as we read. And one of these people that followed Jesus, Paul, had his own epiphany. He wanted everyone to get the message of Jesus as he had. And he worked at it all his life. He wanted his churches to be tolerant and loving. Love is all you need, he said. And that's what the Beatles sang when I was newly married. The Beatles began their career with a song, Love, Love Me Do, and later on a song by McCartney and Lennon, Love is All You Need. And Martin Luther King, who, uh, Jr., who became the leader of the civil rights movement that I was talking about earlier, said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. So Paul was patient with those Corinthians, just setting out from the darkness of ignorance to the new world of Jesus. 
and he challenged them. And in the same way as Paul's words to them, we are challenged. So the third reading for today, which was a set reading, um, is First uh, Corinthians 13, which is all about love. And he challenged them with uh, this reading, but um, before it, he prefaced it with talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says that um, we can all say right things and do the right thing if we do and say them in a spirit of love. They are right, but if I, if they're not in the spirit of love, it might as well have a body burnt or uh, clang along like um, Richard's wonderful gong last week. We're empty and there isn't anything we have to offer. Paul goes on to define love, compassion, kindness, in its true sense, in those very familiar words. Compassion is patient and kind. Kindness envies no one, is never boastful, never conceited, never rude. Compassion is never selfish, never quick to take offense. Kindness keeps no score of wrongs, takes no pleasure in the sins of others, but delights in the truth. There's nothing compassion cannot face. There's no limit to its faith, its hope, its endurance. And he goes on through his um, list of the things that are true love. Uh, Preachers go batting on about the the translation of the word love. I'm sure you've heard us about agape and all that stuff. But uh, it strikes me that... um, Love is about kindness and compassion and all these other, they're all, they're just translations. And so why shouldn't we choose a better word for it, for this matter of importance? This is the base of our faith, of my faith. It's the cornerstone of our faith. We're here and now. We don't understand everything. We see things incomplete. We're not sure where, where we're pointed. And Paul said, my knowledge now is partial. Then it will be whole, like God's knowledge of me. That's pretty shaky, isn't it? Like God's knowledge of me. There are three things that last forever. Faith, hope, and compassion. And the greatest of the three is compassion. Amen.